Jeffs. Jeff Stevens here, coming to you from rainy and chilly North Carolina. It doesn't look like winter, it doesn't look like spring, it just looks gray and chilly and miserable. But uh, nonetheless, we are blessed and I just wanted to come to you today talking to you about some stuff that I've been reading and pondering and studying out of the book of Matthew. So at our church at Deep Creek, Deep Creek Baptist Church here in Pinehurst, uh, we've been doing this overview. We started right at the beginning of Matthew, uh, discussed with the pastor starting uh, right at the beginning of the New Testament that we were going to take time this year and just cruise right through the New Testament instead of having uh, just basic topical discussions and picking topics that we would start at the beginning and, and we'll just see uh, kind of where it ends up depending on questions people have and the way the discussion goes and there's three of us preparing for it so you'll see some different angles from the discussion but all exegetical nonetheless not trying to apply any of our own uh, preconceptions about the Word of God in this past week we finished up uh, Matthew chapter 5 and um, you know we'd started two weeks ago with the Sermon on the Mount and got through it right up until the midway point in the chapter where you get to um, Christ essentially telling the his disciples that they are the salt and the light and we moved into Christ coming to fulfill the law and uh, through anger and lust and divorce and uh, all these points that Christ brings up to us uh, all of his disciples about the way we should conduct ourselves and the standard that we have um, not only from God but for ourselves as believers as true disciples of God and we get to the last um, part of this chapter in chapter 5 and I can't help but think there is such amazing application uh, for our world uh, here in the United States uh, under the current situation uh, with politics and the way we interact with one another that this is so important for us to take in and to understand and uh, you know as I've mentioned before when I started this podcast when I started the social media it was to reach back into the military community and serve warriors and warrior families and I know a lot of us have this real uh, desire to finish some things through anger and violence and uh, there's there's a way that your training takes you where you um, you want to win and we have to remind ourselves that um, the lessons that Christ give us here aren't about our vengeance they aren't about our winning uh, and they're about his glory and they're about reaching people uh, here in the world for the gospel so that he may be glorified through it and this is really important here as we look into the last part of Matthew 5 and I'll just read this real quick this is out of the ESV the version that I'm reading today in case you're following along and it's a little different but uh, Christ says here you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven and we're going to see this reflected forward as I read from Matthew 10 in a little bit for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we can't be perfect, we can't be holy, um, 
like the Heavenly Father is perfect. Of course, there'll be a glorification process that happens as we go into the next, as Christ redeems us to the Father after we move into the new heaven and the new earth. But what is Jesus saying to us here is that, you know, in Christ's perfection, he came for mankind to save them from their sin. And in order for us to reach people for the gospel, we absolutely must reach people who are our enemies. You see, everybody walking the planet was Christ's enemy when he came here. Why is that? Because as Paul tells us on Romans Road, you know, Romans 3, he tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all the enemy of Christ. We're all the enemy of God. He turns us back to him through um, through his redemption and through sanctification. It's only then when our changed heart, our heart changed by the Holy Spirit, do we turn back to him. So this perfection is the perfection of reaching out to people like Christ reached them, sacrificially. We don't take things uh, personally, although hard. We don't think of revenge, although difficult not to want to get back at somebody. But we have to understand that we have to pray for those who persecute us. And we must reach out to those who disagree with us religiously, politically, economically. Now, it doesn't mean we need to agree. And I want to make it clear because I know non-believers will use this against us when they say things like, you know, you know, you need to love your neighbor. You know, what didn't Jesus say to love your neighbor? Yeah, absolutely he did. Absolutely he did. But it doesn't mean that we're not discerning. And it doesn't mean that we're tolerant of sin. Because even Christ wasn't tolerant of sin. Um, now, that doesn't mean we have to yell everybody down for their sin. It just means that we don't tolerate it. It just means that we know what sin is and we stand against it. That we're well read. That we're well prayed that we understand the Word of God and we understand what God has for our lives and that we would walk in that daily. Um, Christ gives the example here that there will be reward for this. He says in verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? So what he's saying is you love those who don't love you. There is reward in this. As Christ reached out and loved those who didn't love him, there is reward in that glory there's a glorification for us in the end the glory will be brought to us when he tells us well done my good and faithful servant that we are able to reach people who are not like us now I, you know i bring all this up because i think what i see happening uh, you know the discussions i have with guys at work the social media platforms that are out there and i i try to follow a, a fair number of people from a kind of all sides of the ball, if you will, and get an understanding of where people stand on issues. And what I'm seeing is that the church is really starting to feel, the Christian church, I, I'm not going to use the word evangelicals because I think politics has twisted that word into anybody that votes a certain way or stands on a certain side of politics. But I'm going to say believers, true believers in Christ, feel, rightfully so, that especially with shutdowns due to COVID, that um, 
the government is handling things differently for the church than they are for other businesses or governmental practices. You know, for instance, in California, you see things like churches being fined when they want to meet, but um, casinos will be open and liquor stores will be open so that people can go and, um, um, you know, buy alcohol and they can go and gamble their lives away, but they cannot fellowship with each other and with God on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or whenever that might be at church. And, you know, from the first initial few weeks, there was this understanding that large gatherings were going to make people sick. But we have gone for a year now, and we understand, one, that the science doesn't support it, the math doesn't support it, but also we're commanded at least 99 times in the Word of God to fellowship with one another. I went over this in a different podcast. But we must be obedient to God, and being obedient to Him are things like meeting together. And that doesn't always mean in a large church setting. That could mean meeting together in your home with families, uh, breaking bread, studying, praying, reading, singing. But if, if the church, if the local church, which I encourage people to be in, is that meeting place for you, then you should be going. It is what we are commanded to do, to meet together without ceasing. Do not neglect to. So we must be doing this. Now remember, um, our enemies, they don't want us to do this. And we can't hate them for it. This is, the, this is the topic that I'm on. We have to love them. We have to pray for them. We have to reach to them. We have to continue to be example. We are example by continuing to love one another and reach one another. But I want to fast forward to Matthew 10 because these things really line up. And if you read through Matthew and you take them and consider them um, nice and slowly, you'll find that Jesus uh, starting with the Beatitudes is building this case for his disciples. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, Matthew is building the case for the fulfillment of Scripture. And at the same time, Jesus' words are building the case for what it means to be a disciple and how to bring the gospel to people. Now, in Matthew 10, uh, you know, Christ is going to talk about the 12 disciples as he opens up and he's going to. Uh, send them out and he's sending them out not to non-believers not to uh, Gentiles but people in Israel so he's telling them start with your neighbors start with the people you know start with the people you go to synagogue with start with your aunts and uncles and your grandma and your grandpa and your kids and your neighbors and all these people you're around that's where you're gonna start now there's this idea that there's a journey so it's people there in the kingdom of Israel that they know and they're going to go do miracles at this time. So they're going to heal sick and raise the dead and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. Um, they're not going to ask for any money, but they're just going to go and people are going to allow them to stay with them and they're going to feed them and they are going to listen to them. They're going to listen to the gospel and Jesus commands them if they don't to kick the dust off their feet and leave, which basically means you, can, you can't do anything. You bring the gospel to them they can have a response. If they don't, just leave. The Holy Spirit does the work. You have brought the Word of God to them. So the part that I want to get to that I think lines up here with love your neighbor is this. Starting in verse 16, of course, we're in Matthew 10 again. In verse 16, Christ says this. If you have a red letter Bible, again, these are red letters. So these are Christ's words. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and all the Gentiles. 
When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated for all my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in the town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So this is really interesting when Christ has just said not long before this to his disciples, love your enemies. Pretty difficult to love your enemies when we know that this persecution is going to be coming. There's nothing we can do about it. And then it goes beyond political hatred or shutting down of churches. It actually comes to people dragging people out into the square and flogging them. Now, I don't think this is necessarily a case uh, for pacifism either. There's plenty of other evidence that we're not supposed to be complete pacifists and just let people uh, bludgeon us down or not protect our women and our children. There's definitely a case for fleeing danger here so that we just don't stand in the face of it um, idiotically and be run down. But there are a lot of other really good important points here to remember in the modern church with the way that the government is shifting and the way that people are shifting and it shows two sides to this thing where one, there's a foolishness to the side of non-believers that we are not going to change. There's nothing we can do about it. And number two, our response, our response is clear that we are to bring the gospel because there are going to be some who are there who are non-believers who are gonna to turn towards Christ. And our only responsibility is to bring them the gospel and that is it. So he starts out here in 16, telling them we're going to be sheep in the midst of wolves. Again, there's kind of a dichotomy there because sheep, you know, they're, they're herd animals and they're weak and they're easily run down by wolves. So as believers, there's really nothing we can do. The wolves are going to overwhelm us uh, because it's just the way that the animal kingdom works. But the second part of that is remember that when he talks about sheep, we also have a shepherd and that shepherd is Christ. And that shepherd does not allow the wolves to devour us. So although uh, in the temporal there may be uh, issues of violence and issues of pain and issues of persecution, but the reality is that the shepherd has already saved us. The shepherd has already come. The work has already been finished. And we must understand that in this, that he's not just sending us out there to be slaughtered, that he, he is with us as our shepherd. We're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And uh, you know, very interesting uh, way that Jesus puts this here. That as serpents, you know, we're to be wise, we're to be crafty. And think about that in the terms of the modern world. Like, how can we be wise? How can we craft crafty? Well, you know, some churches have done this. We've moved to an electronic platform to reach people by the gospel like we should. We utilize the technology. That's wise. We dig into the word of God and we learn. That's wise. We find new ways to reach people. With the gospel, of course, not twisting it or changing it, but we just find ways to meet. We find ways to reach our neighbors, our kids, our kids' friends. 
So wise like serpents, harmless like doves. Again, another weird dichotomy here. So harmless, a dove is a harmless animal. Also an animal that was brought to sacrifice if you couldn't afford the spotted, spotless lamb. There's a meekness, a sense of meekness to it. But remember, it was also the dove that descended upon um, Jesus as he was baptized when the heavens opened. So it is also an encouragement for, to us that we're not to betray the truth. As he goes on here, he says, beware of men. They're going to deliver us over to courts and flog you. So when they say courts here, when Christ is saying courts, there's a an understanding that the courts of his time were the Sanhedrin and that uh, the Jews would have understood what he meant by uh, uh, handed over to the courts. That essentially a bunch of... Uh, um, politically religious guys uh, we're going to stand in front of them and find them guilty for sharing the gospel which would have been um, what they would have understood as contrary to Jewish law because they were Jewish legalists they had a certain way of running their government a certain way of running synagogue and they you know they were in charge and that was going to be the way it was and if you brought this Jesus in they would find you guilty. They're going to drag them there, but not for what you say, but for who you represent. So for my sake, Christ says, they're going to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now here's something funny. Christ just got done telling them a little, you know, a little bit before this. You go out to first your people, not the Gentiles, but even the Gentiles will persecute you, which is kind of an amazing thing because it's like why is this gentile here uh, you know accusing me of this everybody's going to accuse us is is what christ is saying here everybody's going to accuse us they're going to deliver us over he said don't be anxious that christ is going to give you the words as we know as believers we are given a new heart we are indwelt with the holy spirit that we are given the holy spirit as not just a useful tool this isn't about magic. It isn't about magic healing. It isn't about some sort of speaking in tongues. This is about the kingdom of heaven dwelling inside of us. And the truth that we speak that comes out of us, the hope that we have inside of us is the gospel, that we continue to tell them about Jesus Christ crucified, died, buried, resurrected on the third day to conquer sin and evil, and that he bore the sins of the world and that he will come to reign again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus will reign forever. And he really starts to dig in here and talk to us about how we are going to be torn apart at the fabric of our family, which is really difficult. And we are seeing the family fabric torn apart now in front of us in ways that we've never seen it before. Satan, the evil one, has found ways to make the family insignificant. We've done it through the LGBTQ community through transgenderism. We've done it through the Black Lives Matter movement. We've done it through uh, all of these means that essentially say the patriarchy is bad, the nuclear family is bad, they tear father's responsibility to lead their wives and children spiritually out of their home, um, abortion, um, tearing children from mother's wounds, all these ways that Satan has made uh, it very convenient that the nuclear family is not good. Christ is being very clear here that 
brother will deliver brother over to death, father, his child, the children will rise against parents, all for his name. So those of us who hold true to Jesus Christ as the head of the church, as men of the head of their home, people will hate us for that because of him. And it's about endurance. And I like this word endurance, and I think it's important that we dig in on it a little bit because what does it mean to have endurance? And this is one of the reasons that I am not a fan of the teaching of the rapture. One, because I don't believe that it's supported well in the text. I believe in a second coming of Christ. But I think that when tribulation comes and comes to us hard, if we think that there's just going to be some sort of uh, temporal, some real visceral rescue when things get bad, that we don't know the history here of the first century church. And we haven't even looked at recent history. We had believers you know, as late as uh, World War II, just run through by blatant evil, the communists murdering Christians. When tribulation comes, we need to be prepared for it. How do we get that endurance? We get that endurance through fellowship with other people in Christ, through loving our family and our friends in a way that glorifies God, through deep personal prayer, through group prayer, fellowship, and through studying the word of God like a theologian, all of us. We should take the word theologian out and just say Christian. If you are a Christian, you want to become more intimate with your Savior. If you are a Christian, you want to walk with your God. If you are a Christian, you want to walk with your friend Jesus. If you are a Christian, you want to know him because he is the one who laid down his life for you. And when somebody lays down their life and takes your death away and puts it on themselves, you feel like you owe them something. You feel like there's something you should do for them. You feel like there's something to give. Now, of course, there's nothing we can give. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can pay. It's all him been paid for by him, through him, to him. But that feeling that we want to become more intimate with him should rest in us as Christians, and it should lead us to want to dig into the word of God and study so that we can know him better. Because we glorify him best when we represent him best to our family and our friends and our community. Those are the ones that will be saved in the end. He tells us when they persecute you in the town, flee to the next. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So we are going to continue to be persecuted. Now this specifically is spoken to the disciples. It's very much about them and going through Israel. But this example is here for us to understand that persecution will come. And I think we definitely live in a time where we are going to see persecution of the church begin to get ramped up. Now, I have been uh, a firm believer in telling people lately, you don't know what persecution looks like unless you've traveled to some places like the Middle East and Africa, as I have, to see what true persecution looks like. And for us to com complain about it without action is weakness, and it is not endurance. Uh, but we are actually starting to see it here. We're starting to see the government start to find churches and send uh, government officials and police to churches to find them and tell them that they can't meet and limit them. And we are going to continue to see it get worse. I believe with the current administration, we'll see that things will change drastically for the church. As uh, he tells people he is a believer, but he is obviously not through his actions and his words. So then, why? Why do they do this? Because we know, because we've read the end of the book, that uh, things will continue to kind of swirl out of control for us here. But re remember that they don't hate us. 
They hate God. And this is what happens here is unfolded in the last couple of verses I read where Jesus says to us, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Is it enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign with his household? So this whole idea um, that they hate you because of the master of the house, you know, this word Beelzebub that's used there is this representation of the devil or of Satan. And it's a Greek word, Beelzebub, uh, B-O-U-L, Beelzebul. Um, it's, it's kind of a distortion and it's a reference and it's sometimes, uh, if you look at it written, it, it, it's a play on Baal, B-A-A-L, Beelzebub. Uh, of course, Baal was uh, a common god a Philistine deity. And when you add the word Baal Zabub, it literally in translation means Lord of the Fly. And you transition that into Greek, and you, when you put it there and it's Beelzebul, it means Master of the House or Lord of the High Places. Um, and in this case, the reference to Satan. See here in this verse, the religious leaders accuse Jesus. When you look at Matthew 9, uh, 34, you see the religious leaders accused Jesus of being enabled by Beelzebub or Satan. Matthew 12, 24. Um, they recognize that he acts in authority, but they ascribe his power to Satan rather than his father, rather than God. So he brings this point to this logical con confusion, right? That if people who are non-believers who are hostile to you think that your master is evil to persecute you. You see, they actually look at you like you're the evil one, that you're the one holding them back, that you're the one doing works that are evil. It's out of their foolishness. How much more will they malign and persecute you because of him? We should not be surprised because the leaders, the Jewish leaders, re rejected the Messiah. They rejected the one that completely fulfilled prophecy in his birth, when he was born, what house he was born to, when, how, to whom. And his words themselves speak of his deity. And they killed him. Now, it has to happen, remember, because it's going to continue to fulfill prophecy so that all those come after him understand the fullness of the fulfillment of prophecy. However, they didn't recognize it at all. So in these last couple verses, we're reminded. We are reminded that we are going to be hated for him and that they will look to us like we are the evil ones. I know it's hard to get your head around when we start to look at our churches who love one another and they fellowship and we try to take care of the poor or the needy or the sick or the lame or the kids. We try to have fun with one another and love one another without judgment. That someone looking from the outside, we would wonder why? Why would you hate this? It's out of their foolishness and lack of understanding just like it was for the religious as they looked at Christ. They just... Their hearts were hard. They refused to see. The Holy Spirit had not done that work inside of them to open their eyes. 
and they are hardened towards us. There is nothing we can do about it except present the gospel and be prayerful that the Holy Spirit will soften their hearts. But I wanted to talk about this today because I, I really see this change in American culture and I think it's important that we understand that this is a time for us to have endurance. Now, I'm all for standing up against a tyrannical government. I don't think that we should be pacifists. I don't think there's a call for pacifism. But there's definitely a point where we know as a church that we're being persecuted against and we draw together more and love people in the community when they hate us and we tell them we love you and we want what's best for you. That we don't look out of our windows from the safety of our homes and yell at people that they're sinners and what they're doing is sinful. Now, of course, we call out sin, but we do it in a way where we bring hope first. Because if they don't understand that there's hope on the other side of their sinfulness, they will never understand that their sin is bad. You see, that's the big difference between someone completely living in sin and comfortable and someone who is a believer and feels uncomfortable when they sin. Is that sinners who are non-believers don't know that it's sinful. If they have not yet had the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then what difference does it make? It's when we reach out to them and bring them the gospel that the Holy Spirit works in their lives and in their hearts that they understand that their sin is what separates from, from God and that they need him in their lives. And that is where we come in. We come in as the vehicle for the gospel. As Jesus sent out these disciples here, in the book of Matthew, so we are sent. So I would encourage you, believer, today to be sent, to be encouraged that it is time to have endurance. And if you got to have endurance, just like you play a sport, you got to practice. You got to get out on the court. You need to get out on the field. You need to get on the track. You need to get in the weight room, which means dig in on the word of God and learn who he is. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Present your brothers and your sisters, your mother, your father, your kids, your neighbors, your workmates with the gospel. There's a lot of ways you can bring it to them through love. You need to be honest about your faith in Jesus Christ as your hope. And my encouragement for you today is you would do just that. So believers and members of the nation of the cross, go out there today and stay on the grind.